Hello and welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. My name is Liam Bird and I am the fan liaison officer here at the sporting disability charity Level Playing Field. After the frantic seven podcasts in two weeks for the Level Playing Field weeks of action, we are now back to our monthly release. And this month, we are turning our attention to sports media. So why sports media? Well, while the media helps to set national narrative of conversation we have in our day-to-day life. And it's no different really in the world of sport. We have seen in the past the sporting press power in highlighting social issues that affect people who attend sport. Be it either racism, sexism or homophobic abuse, it is a subject matter that needs to be spoken about. But is disability being spoken about at the same level as the other protective characteristics or even at all? If this is the case, why? Is it because there is a lack of disabled sports journalists or is disability just not high priority in sports media? To answer these questions, I speak to three fantastic sports journalists in Nate Williams, Jordan Jarrett Bryan and Harry DeCosimo. Enjoy. In front of me on my screen, I have three esteemed sports journalists from the world of press, TV and radio who have very kindly given up their time to speak to me and talk about disability and how it's viewed within the world of sport media as well as the wider world, I suppose. I will come to each of you individually to say hi so the listener kind of knows your voice. So first, I have Harry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher your last name and please correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Harry DeCosmo? DeCosmo, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. My name's Harry DeCosmo um, and I've done a lot of stuff for BBC Sport and the Mirror and Eurosport and plenty of other people. So uh, thank you very much for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Cheers, Harry. Uh, next up, we've got Nate Williams. Uh, how are you doing, mate? I'm very well, uh, Liam. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I've been a sports journalist slash producer for 10 years. Uh, started out in print with uh, nationals and broadcasters. And now I've got two production credits for Channel 4 on the Tokyo and Beijing Paralympics. And now I'm with... Uh, the Commonwealth Games as a producer. Perfect. And finally, you've got Jordan Jarrett Bryan. And good morning to you, mate. Uh, good morning, mate. Um, nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. So let's kind of get into it straight away then. So there are about 4.1 million disabled people in the UK. Obviously, not all disabled people enjoy sport, but I think it's safe to say a healthy percentage of that 4.1 probably do. Uh, when talking about the fan view of the game, do you think enough attention is given to disabled sports fans who want to attend live sporting events i'm going to come to you first nate well the reason i got into sports journalism because it, it was impossible to get a ticket uh you usually on like a waiting list uh, there's membership fees particularly at the premier league i just love sport it was the way that i bonded with my family my, my uncles are lifelong liverpool supporters my granddad visited anfield this year for the first time since 1959 so you know it's it's a long long-standing tradition to support Liverpool in my family and I think when I looked at my grades at school I, I, I just married sport English and IT together and came up with sports journalism in 2010 and began from there. So with with that in mind then Nate you're talking about the kind of like the the prolonged list length for wheelchair users in some stadiums they don't meet, meet accessible stadium so that means there's a shortage of wheelchair user spaces and then you factor in easy access chairs for ambulant disabled why do you think the media why aren't we talking about kind of that shortage of supply to demand I suppose I think it's because it needs to be seen more before it gets talked about more because I myself working in football stadiums I've often felt like the only wheelchair user and I say wheelchair user because there could be disabled people in the stands with me that you know aren't visible as a disability 
But um, I think it just needs to be talked about and highlighted more. And that's uh, what I'm trying to do with with another um, project of mine, which I'm getting a group together of disabled people in the sports media, but also highlighting um, the issues of uh, sports fans at grounds. I know Stephen Miller, the Paralympian, very well. And, you know, he's a lifelong Newcastle supporter and he's had a few um, instances where his view's been blocked and stuff like that. So I know level playing field are working very hard to address that. So it's about addressing the issues from from the very top. And as soon as that's addressed and people become more aware of that, then we'll see more accessible seating get built. And I'll tell you an interesting story. I went to America and I bought a ticket for a Lakers game. I said, can I have an accessible ticket, please? Like a wheelchair ticket. And they were like, oh, we haven't gotten on. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to get into the game. But I bought like a, a standard seat game. And I was like, how's this going to work? Oh, basically, sir, you go into the arena, you go to our accessibility team, they make sure they make space for you. And you'll, you'll be like just a level above the court. And I was like, this is brilliant. Why, why can't we have this here? And I think the answer is like because stadiums are built in so many different ways that it's the in- infrastructure that needs looking at first before also the legislation of the Equality Act and how it marries up. Jordan, you, you've you've played a huge part in um, kind of raising the profile of disability with your presenting at at the Paralympics and and uh, being Channel Four having an all disabled presenting crew. I mean, how important is that visibility to, to to engage and then start talking about disability in other kind of areas of sport? Like, yes, you're presenting, but then I suppose it's an opportunity to then talk about accessibility of Stadium X. Yeah, I think it's very important. I think the visibility, first of all, is is a essential. I think it's important that people who love sports and sporting events see people that look like them, first of all, presenting. Full disclosure, for those that don't know, my disability is one that I call minimal. I'm a below the knee amputee. So my disability is, or my experience as being a disabled person is significantly different to somebody who has one arm, a visual impairment, in a wheelchair. So I, I, I want to make that clear because we're all disabled, but I think we there, there are levels. There are levels. So I, I'm not going to be on here bleating about my experience of going to grounds and going to games and stadiums and struggling because of my prosthetic leg because 99.999% of the time, my disability doesn't affect my ability to get a seat or get to the toilets or watch the watch the game. So I think I want to make that clear. I accept that there are people in wheelchairs um, with visual impairments that have, you know, that are not, um, if you like, factored in and experienced. But so me presenting, um, you, you wouldn't know that I'm disabled because if I'm on camera, the camera never goes below my waist. So you never see my shorts and, and my disability. But I think it's more than just about the importance of the visibility of seeing disabled people um, presenting. I think it's about the next stage is like, what are we then going to say and do about it? I think raising awareness about the, dis- the difficulties of whether it's presenting or the experience as a fan at a ground is one thing. But I think my responsibility then is it's also as a journalist is to then build upon that and say, okay, I've I've told you the problem. Now let's now work out and talk about how we can solve this. And that might be holding, you know, government to account. That might be holding governing sporting bodies to account. That might be holding stadiums and councils to account. So I think visibility is first and foremost and very important, but visibility on its own is not going to get change. 
it's not going to get changed. So it's like when people talk about, you know, we need to raise awareness about violence against women or racism. It's like, I don't know anybody on the planet that doesn't know racism exists or violence. We know that we don't need awareness about this. We need now action to stop these problems. And it's the same thing with this, raising awareness about the issues disabled people have in accessing the same rights to watch a game or, a, or, a, or an event like everybody else is one thing. Okay, what's the next stage? How do we now change that? How do we now improve that to make sure that everyone has an equal chance of presenting on TV as well as watching and experience the games that we all love? So, Harry, how how do we kind of factor that in then? Uh, how the how the media plays its part in in kind of raising that profile of things need to happen. Like, yes, it's great ways raising awareness, but fundamentally there needs to be infrastructure change. There need to be attitude changes. I, I think that echoing what, what Jordan just said, I think the the, the thing for me is that. It feels like it's been a bit of a cop out to say, "Oh, we'll raise awareness." Um, it feels like a way of acting like we're doing something rather than doing it, and it feels like there's a there, there needs to be an attitude change rather than a sort of an acceptance that we need to move on. I think genuinely, I, I do I do sort of feel like a lot of these things come around every four years with the Paralympics or something, and it's like, "Oh, how great are these people?" They're, they're really just normal people, but they're doing you know, and it's this sort of like really weird narrative where it's like, "We'll, we'll put you back in your box." When it when it when it suits, and my disability is doesn't stop me doing anything that that a fully able person couldn't do. It just maybe sort of I have to sort of manage it. But it, I'm not in a wheelchair. I, I don't need accessible areas to stadiums or anything like that. But the thing I noticed was that there were no dis- disabled people in in press boxes where I was, let alone access to wheelchair you know wheelchair access to, to press boxes in the grounds that I was at in the Premier League grounds when I was particularly when I was going to the games mainly a couple of years ago before the pandemic and it was like it felt like as, as you said people are aware everybody knows that these things exist but there just wasn't this willingness to sort of go to the next stage and it felt like somebody was waiting for so, so it always feels like someone's waiting for somebody else to say something uncomfortable like what i've just said about the attitude change it feels like disabled people are sort of like when they get their moment the light is shone for, for once in every four years and then it goes back and i think it's the same issue with within the media as well for, for journalism i wrote an article for the football writers association with my experiences of, of being a, journal, a journalist with, with cerebral palsy and a lot of people came to me and said oh it's brilliant you know well, well done for speaking out and i got a lot a lot of people gave me a lot of you know really good really nice words it's great it was a great opportunity for me to to sort of empower myself to talk about these things. That's all I really wanted. But everyone came to me and said the same thing. We need to do, we we need to do it. But it was like a thing of like, everyone just kind of didn't think about it. It's not been thought of. And I think that's the problem. Nobody's actually even got to the point where they think it's worth discussing at the moment. And I think that's what's, that's what's the issue is. I mean, we're not even in a position where there's even plans for action. It's just say, Oh, we can do it. We, you know, we should do it. But it's every, Every so often, when it's when it's flavor of the month, when it's the Paralympics, when something somebody says something, it, it doesn't really go beyond that. It's like as soon as it dies down, it gets put back in its box. And I think fundamentally, it's an attitude issue before anything else. I, I, think, I think there's an element of fear as well. Like when talking about disability, because I've had it. I, I'm a wheelchair user, and you know, wheelchair users can have a variety of impairments, and people aren't quite sure what to say or how to approach it, and the, the outline that I'm trying to tell the industry is ask, don't assume, because I remember when I attended my first game, I said that I needed to, I was a disabled student and I needed to do a match report for my course. 
And this club came back to me and they said, sorry, our facilities aren't built up for you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. And they just like deflected and didn't um, come back to me. But two weeks later, I went back to the same club with the same name. And I said I was a student looking to do a match report at a game. Can I come down? And it was sorted that very same day without that word in. And then when I went to the ground on the day, I said, look, this is what I can do. It's all on me. Don't worry about a thing. And, you know, I think there was a fear back then because they say, yeah, you do do realise if anything happens, you know, this was, you know, your call, not ours. So I think that there's an element of fear as well that needs to be addressed, how you can talk to disabled people and work with them instead of assuming what they can't do. I was um, lucky enough to host the um, a couple of weeks ago, the Disability in Journalism um, Forum uh, held by News UK. And there was a really interesting point made that kind of touches to Nate's first answer about his experience going to the States. And was it, was it a basketball game you said you went to, the Lakers game? Lakers, yeah. And the point that came out from one of the, one of the panellists was what, the, what we need to start doing, and this is where I talk about the difference between raising awareness and doing stuff, it's we need to stop reacting to cater for disabled people. So what the person was saying was, when you build a building, when you build a stadium, don't build the stadium and then think, oh, we need to now work out how we're going to put the ramps and we need to factor in a disabled toilet there and we need to have a certain amount of space there. No, if you have dis- the people with disabilities involved in the process of building that stadium, you will have that in your mindset as you build the stadium. So it won't be a an afterthought of, oh, sorry, I almost swore then. Oh, we can't actually, um, we, we forgot about this, we forgot about that. When you build the... Yep, Okay, take my club, for example, Arsenal, the Emirates. It's a modern stadium. So I think the Emirates is actually quite good in terms of for press um, and, and for spectators as well, if you're disabled. When you're building that stadium, it's in your thinking already about, okay, well, we need to factor in, what if you're in a wheelchair? What if you... Um, how do you get from that place to, to that space there? And it's just part of your organic thinking in the planning process of what it is you're building. You factor in the press. Okay, we're going to have 10 press ten press seats for broadcast. All right, but we need to think about what if two are in wheelchairs? All right, well, then make that bit a bit longer and a bit wider. These things need to be, need to be thought of during, in the initial process stage. And also, it will save you money. It must cost a lot more money, surely, to build something and then have to modify it five, ten years later. All the things that people with disabilities need, you know, thinking about uh, screens for people that maybe um, are, are, are deaf, um, all these kinds of things, I think, to be thought about and factored in from the initial process. And that's only going to happen if you have people with disabilities in that process from the get-go, rather than building something and then thinking, ah, we now need to change this and modify that and build this and it becomes a, it becomes a ball egg. Do it from the get-go rather than, than down the line and you save yourself money and time. Money is a very important factor here because um, obviously when, when you start out as a football reporter, this, this is what it was like for me. It's like you have to go through uh, the lower leagues. Before, like I, I don't know anyone personally that's jumped straight to Premier League. It's like when you work for an agency and you're providing copy for a paper, it's usually at the lower level, and then you work your way up. And some clubs at the lower level might argue, well, that's all well and good, but we haven't got the money or funds to facilitate something that might happen um, because it's not concurrent. You don't see four people in wheelchairs in press boxes. But 
what I'm saying to those types of clubs is you need to factor in reasonable adjustments because I have been to clubs where I can't access the press box at all, but they've put me in like a hospitality box. Uh, for example, during the pandemic, I went to a Premier League club um, and they put me into a hospitality box where I had a view of the pitch, uh, Wi-Fi access, and that's all you really need. I had my laptop on on a desk. It, it was brilliant. And then at the lower end, um, I went to a League Two club for an FA Cup game one weekend. Um, and because the ground was basically two levels of seating, I got to sit pitch side and do my report there. And uh, I had easy access to the managers, could go on the pitch straight after the game to get my quotes. And that's all you really need. So it, it has to be factored in about what the infrastructure is and what can be afforded. And if it can't be afforded, then we need to think about, OK, if a person in a wheelchair does turn up, where do we put them? Uh, or where, where can they access uh, every, everything else that a able-bodied journalist can? I also think that there's a point where that Natius raised about you know, specific needs. So it feels like a lot of the time clubs or whoever will worry more about needing to do something rather than actually listening to specific needs of, you know, whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be a major... In, in, certain, in certain cases, if, if they don't have the, the access, it doesn't have to be, you know, oh, you can't get to the press, the press box, well, we'll put you somewhere else or, or whatever. And it feels like not enough of that is being thought of. It feels like the whole thing of including, including people with, with disabilities and whatever is too much of a problem because people aren't getting nuanced enough with it. It's kind of like... Well, you know, every, everyone talks about big overhauls and big, you know, you know, putting ramps in and stuff, but it doesn't always have to be like that in the short term. And, you know, and, and mitigating clubs that don't have money and it doesn't have to be massively overly big, you know, as I say, putting ramps in or whatever. In all, that's obviously the, the ultimate goal. But in the meantime, we can't just have clubs coming back to people going, oh, well, we are putting a ramp in, but, but, we can't do anything for you right now, but but you can. You can do something else. You can put us in a place that that we can still see the pitch. We can still whatever. And I just think that it, it it's generally as I come back to it, it's just an attitude issue. People aren't asking the questions. Ask and not assume is a brilliant uh, is a brilliant way of of putting it because people don't think detail enough. They just think oh there's an issue. We've got to find a way to to fix it. But but they don't actually think. How's the best way to fix it, really, I think? Moving on, you kind of touched on it a little bit, Jordan, and I'm going to use the example of, of the podcast that you occasionally go on, and that's the Guardian Football Weekly. It's a podcast that a few years back um, kind of looked internally at itself and, and how the, it books the contributors. They very much saw itself as white, male, and they realised, oh, actually, we need to represent the, the footballing community as a whole. So they introduced more diverse voices like yourself, Floyd Lowe-Hughes, Jordan Faduka and Susie Rack plus many more on the back of it there seems to be a, a, obviously a more diverse voice and and they've done some amazing specials on particular subject matters regarding race sexuality that haven't done disability yet but I'm hoping it's, it's on the way is it a case that in journalism 
that there needs to be more done to to encourage more disabled voices to to engage in 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 the the world that you guys do and how can that be done if as nate is stating that at the first step there's there's already something disabling them from being able to to progress in that career so they can so they can write those stories that are of interest and their real life real world experiences of being a sports journalist yes in answer to your question i do think we need to have more sports journalists speaking out um, and having a platform to talk about not only the experiences of what we're doing right here, but the experiences of being a sports journalist in sport, but just reporting on sports. We just need more journalists with disabilities talking about sport in the same way we need more women writing about football we need more you know people from my community the black community writing about sport we need more gay people writing about sport i guess in that sense disabled people are not special they're not unique we should just be treated like everybody else and have the same opportunities to be on podcasts like the guardian football weekly and as you mentioned i think the george floyd's murder triggered um there was a podcast i did with them and i think it triggered them to have an internal look about who are the voices we have on on our podcast talking about football everyone likes football not everyone but most people like football you know black people women people from the lgbt community disabled we all most of us like football and we all have varying views and levels of experience in talking about the game. So why are we not going to... And I always find it interesting when any any company or business doesn't recognise that if, you're, if your product or your service is being sold to a, a, a wide demographic of people, why would you not want the people that are producing that product to, be, to come from a wide demographic? Do, do you know what I mean? If your product is solely aimed at white men between the age of... 35 and 60 then okay i understand why your makeup of your company is going to be mainly white men okay still not really cool for me but at least that makes sense but how many businesses do you know target a specific and very niche demographic of people not many especially in media and sport the sport isn't directed at any demographic multiple people like multiple sports so it just makes sense to me that you do have disabled people Oh, you know, I'm gonna stop. I've, I've got to stop saying that now. And what I'm saying now is people with disabilities, people with disabilities, writing, talking, reporting on sport, because you're going to get a different perspective on the game. You're going to get a different energy. You're going to get a different view. And, that, and that's what we want. I, I don't want to read a newspaper that has five journalists that kind of all have the same background, same point of view. I want to read people's views that are, are, are different. I may just, I may disagree. I might not agree with your view, but at least it's going to get me thinking, okay, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't thought what it's like, you know, the experience of that person with with a disability talking about the nuance in tactics. And he might or she might have seen something that I might not have seen. So I do think it's a responsibility for more sports journalists to not only speak up about the lack of sports journalists and their experiences in sports, but I just think it's a bit like black people get fed up of talking about racism all the time. It's like, can we just talk about football? Can we just chat about how Jack Greenish is overrated? Can we just chat about, you know, how bloody, I don't know, Roy McElroy isn't as good as people make him out? Can we just talk about that? Do you know what I mean? Not everyday racism, not everyday uh, ableism. Let, let's let's talk about sports. That's what we want to get paid to do. So, yes, in answer to your question. It's a very long way of answering it, but yes. Like I say, it's not just football. There's other sports doing good work. And I, I'll tell you the best 
accessible experience I had was at Wimbledon. Uh, it was 2019, and I got really worried as we got towards the final four and the, the championships because Federer and Nadal were still in and Serena was still in the women's draw. Obviously, very popular characters. And I was working in the early rounds uh, in the commentary boxes at, on centre court and court one. And throughout the early rounds, there's lots of space because, you know, the tournament's just started. People are elsewhere, dotted about all the courts. And as we got to semi-final stage, the, the press officer comes to me and they go, sorry, the, the commentary boxes are all booked and there's nowhere um, to sit in, in there for this game. I'm like, great. Roger Federer and Nadal are playing a semi-final. I'm going to have to do it in the office on my own while everybody's on the court. But they came back to me later. A, a volunteer got me a ticket and I was like, OK, they're going to sit me with some uh, disabled fans. And I was like, that's all right. At least I'm on the court. I can see you. I can work. And they actually took me to the bottom left corner of centre court for the semi-finals and the finals of that weekend because if you watch on Wimbledon there's always like two uh, elderly people in wheelchairs um, like at the bottom of the court and um, strange to me that they didn't book tickets for that event and the spaces were free and that's where I worked and I did my whole match report from that position and then a a friend of mine at the Guardian um, Kevin Mitchell said to me like you should write about that because that's the best view anybody had in the entire media fraternity and I wrote it uh, about the pace of the game it was so much faster I couldn't believe um, the, the things I was seeing that was so different to when I watch it on the TV and I wrote the piece I sent it out to multiple editors at newspapers and it didn't get picked up I don't know the reason for it but I think as well as us speaking out there also needs to be a responsibility of editors at the top you know, championing people like us and giving us those opportunities to um, express different viewpoints, like Jordan said. And, and, and Nate, sorry, just briefly as well, Nate just mentioned there, or you mentioned the fact that the experience of the game that you watched, you noticed the speed was different, just be, being there. And that is going to enhance your journalism. That's going to enhance the reporting of the game that you, you wouldn't have been able to do that if you were watching it from home. So you you had the experience of every other journalist without a disability to report on that game and that match, sorry, in a way that would have been different and probably lesser than if you had to watch it from a screen back in the office. So just giving people equal opportunities to be inside the ground and do their job just means that you, by default, just because you're there, you're able to do your job better. Because you can talk about the experience of, oh, wow, I got to see, I remember I went to see Usain Bolt um, run the 100 metre final, his, his last ever race. It was at the Olympic Stadium and it was the one where just uh, Tyson Gay beat him and he came fourth, I think, in the end. And it was a similar thing. It's not until you're there watching these sprinters, you really realise these guys are fast, man. These guys are really quick. You don't see it on TV. You don't, you, you see it on TV, but it's when you're there. But I would not have been able to have that experience if I if I wasn't enabled to be inside the ground. So I think that that just speaks to the importance of treating us like everybody else and how that benefits our journalism. So Harry, the idea that Jordan witnessed obviously like greatness in person, I, I can hear it now in my ears of, of fans going, well, 
at least Jordan could see that because uh, I know from the away fan survey we're going to put out at the end of the month, a lot of people issues are block of sight of a supporter standing and then throw on top of that travel restrictions or uh, once you get to the ground with accessible parking not being enough. I, I know what they're saying. They will be saying to me, why aren't journalists writing about this? Why aren't journalists seem, seeming to care about this? Why are there not articles about the experience of a disabled supporter? Is it a case that that kind of what Nate said is that editors don't either understand disability, maybe are scared of disability because it's the word disability is such an umbrella term. Like, what what do you think it is? I think that's exactly right. I think there's a there's a feeling of being being scared of it and not sort of fully understanding. But also, I, I kind of feel like there's an innate misunderstanding. I don't know what it is, but things that happen. In, in in terms of discourse around these things, whether, it, you know, all these different inequalities. And it's like, you know, you mentioned that The Guardian haven't done disability yet. You hope it will happen, but they haven't done it yet. And, the, the, you know, the, 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 it just hasn't happened. So there's no evidence that it will. And this is kind of like, it sort of it embodies what I, what, I, what I kind of noticed with it. You know, I know I read somewhere ages ago about, you know, all these roles behind people in, in the film industry. And it's like red, amber and green, all of the, you know, this is, you know, with with females, with um, black and ethnic minorities, and with disabled people, green is good representation, amber is is okay, red is none, and basically there was literally all red for disabled and director, producer, everything, and that's kind of it, it. It comes down to this idea that it doesn't get spoken about in the same way. It isn't given the for whatever reason. I, I think it comes down to fear. I think that's a really good point. And it, and it, but it also comes down to 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 nobody wanting to take the to to take the next step, nobody wanting to to stand up for it because people because people, because it isn't visualised. That's the thing. Like my first real involvement with this whole thing of like from from my perspective, from a journalism perspective, was walking into a press room and thinking, "There's no, I'm the only person with a disability I've ever seen at one of these games. I'm I've never seen anybody else." And then and then when I was thinking and trying to think of, of ways to sort of talk about that and discuss it I thought but why would anybody say anything if they can't see it without those experiences is going to turn around and say there isn't any any disabled people in here so so it just comes down to having more people we've said it before having more people in positions who know who understand it and talking about it visibility is that is the is the crucial thing here because if you you know podcasts like this like the guardian like Having people on Sky Sports, on BBC Sport, or whatever—that's the only way we're going to we're going to really solve this issue—is having people because people aren't going to talk about issues that they can't see because that's just not how people work. So, why would a bunch of fully able people turn around to, to turn around and try and fight against? Oh, oh, there's no disabled people here. Let's make something happen about that. No, it, it needs something to actively change rather than as you know, it's action not reaction, as we've mentioned before. So, it, it all comes down to with with everything, whether it's fans journalists, media, whatever, it all comes down to visibility and people, putting people who have these experiences in the positions to talk about them and make a difference. I think that's the only way you're going to solve these issues. And I think Harry makes flags a really interesting point there because some of the work we're doing at the moment at ITN internally where I work is um, we're doing a bit of a charter and a bit of an overhaul of the experience of people with disabilities that work at ITN. So that's Channel 4 News, Channel 5 News and ITV News. And one of the things that has come up is that there are many people with disabilities who haven't disclosed it and, I, and, who, and whom I didn't even know. There's two people in my office that I've worked with for 10 years now. One um, I found out two years ago, she's 
90% deaf in one ear. And another one in our graphics department, he's, yeah, he's also um, fully deaf in one ear as well. And I didn't know this. And I said to them, why don't you tell people? And they were just like, oh, I just kind of just get on with it. And the problem is, is that there are, it made me think how many people are just in this company alone, have a disability, but haven't disclosed it. And one of the reasons I think, and I'm doing a little bit of work on this, but one reason I think people aren't disclosing it is because they're fearful of not getting work. They're fearful that if they tell the employer, I have um, a hip problem or I have, um, I'm partially sighted in one eye, it's going to prevent them from A, getting work or B, progressing through the, through the company. The, pe- the people, the bosses will think, ah, we would give it to so-and-so, but just not sure if we can put her, you know, pitch side or whatever it may be. I, I totally agree with, with Harry. The problem is, is that there's an assumption that everyone here is, is not disabled or everyone's fine and we, we just crack on. But I think there's a responsibility on us to flag that actually, no, I do have a disability that you can help make my job easier and flag that and not feel the pressure or the stress of worrying about. But if I do that, I may lose my job because there are people that are working with disabilities that are working and getting the job done, but they're working, I not say through pain, but they're, they're, they're kind of mulling on, they're, they're, they're plowing through and they shouldn't have to plow through. You shouldn't have to do a job that you when you're when you're half, you know, your, your hearing is 50 percent reduced and you're struggling to hear people because you, and you, you should, we shouldn't have to work like that. Why should you have to work that way? But I think people are. And it's just a guess. I'm just speculating. I think people are because they're just fearful that if I flag to my boss, I'm disabled. It's going to impede my chances of getting work slash making progress through the company. You're not guessing because I've done it. I've done it as well. No, I, I used to walk into uh, press rooms and put my hand in my pocket so people couldn't see and not mention. I haven't mentioned it, it to any editors in the past. That's why I did the the article in the FWA was because it was a way of almost it's top of my Twitter profile now. So it's a way of if anyone wants to come and employ me or whatever, I can point them in the direction and say this is what I feel and this is how I had to deal with it. This is my experience, and then you can work off that. And then it comes back to the whole thing of talk to me ask me questions, let me tell you what, what, I, what I need. But it, it's that ability to give, you know, that confidence to, to be able to talk about talk about this. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was in denial, but I didn't want to think about my disability for up until literally I wrote that article in, in December 2020. I didn't want to, I, 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 was, I was ashamed of it. I didn't like it. I, I, I wanted it to be somebody else, all this sort of stuff. And then that changed because I was able to take it was that empowerment of it and and to join the to, to join this sort of fight against the these things that I don't think there's a there's a sense that that anyone has 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 an issue with 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 giving people with disability disabilities jobs or, or, or giving them equal treatment. It's just that they it's just that they're they're scared and they don't understand and they don't know where to start and I think it's about education and that's the only way we can we can change these things. Very aware we, we've been talking for quite a while, a lot longer than I actually anticipated. We're going to start wrapping up now, but I kind of want to finish the podcast on a more of a um, optimistic, let's let's try and uh, think about like solutions of how we can how we can engage disability within the media. So therefore it is spoken about more and written about more. You, you've spoken about kind of getting more disabled people into journalism. I mean, what can be done right now? What I mean, what, what are the practical solutions? we can do right now uh nate there's a lot of good diversity groups in the industry already like the the top of the chain for me is becoms they've done fantastic work with the 
black and ethnic community, getting them to Old Trafford, BBC Sport, and Leon Mann's fantastic at championing that. And there's also women in football who have had their first conference at Wembley a couple of weeks ago. They're, they're like making big strides. And also uh, John Holmes at LGBT Media. And what I've sort of done is I've met Harry. I, I reached out to him um, after he wrote that article. And I've, I've sort of tried to gather a pool of people I've met with disabilities that I've worked alongside or I'm aware of, uh, but I've never actually been in the same arena or stadium. And we are um, trying to formalise the first disability within sports media group called the Ability Group in Sport, TAGS for short, uh, because I think once we get those four bodies, uh, TAGS included on LGBT, BCOMs, women in football, we can then say the industry is fully diverse. And I've already had students come to me telling me stories about how they've been uh, you know, told what they can and can't do. And it's about, like, like me and Harry have discussed, it's about education. It's about providing those opportunities and just asking before assuming. And that, that's the whole outline of the group. And it actually came off the back of the Disability and Journalism Forum that Jordan was host of. Mark Hudson, the, the creator of that, reached out to me. We had a conversation and I'm going to be giving a uh, seminar at the end of the month on you know, why this group is needed. And the basic answer is, is just to tell the people already in the industry and the people wanting to come in the industry with a disability that it can be done because we've got another member of our group who's um, in an electric wheelchair, very physically limited, and he wants to be a broadcaster and a commentator. And people are already saying to me, well, uh, saying to him, sorry, that he can't go in the gantries because the gantries aren't built for wheelchair, uh, electric wheelchairs. And may, maybe there needs to be a, a reasonable adjustment there if he wants to go down that route. But he's also said that, you know, he can't write as fast. And maybe that's an example that we need to give the reports don't have to be written. If you can type, maybe they can be written by speech dictation, stuff like that. So it, it's about highlighting those sorts of opportunities that can be done if people are willing to um, work with us and understand that reasonable adjustments in any workplace, including the sports media, are very much needed and discussed. Uh, I'll go on. Let's just briefly, I'll run through a few ones. I think, um, first of all, so just you should know, Nate, um, Martin Sinclair, who's the former Paralympic cerebral palsy He's got cerebral palsy, uh, Paralympic football player. He called me a week ago to talk about setting up a similar forum, um, an organisation for people trying to combine working in the media and football. So yours is sports, so maybe there should be a link up um, there. Yeah. And I can—I don't know if you know him, but I would happily put. Yeah, you- I do know him. Uh, I've followed Martin's career when he when he was in the Paralympics, and um, there's also um, on the sport activity side, uh, Activity Alliance and uh, Sport England are trying to set up a similar group about people working in uh, sport and physical activity. So aware of that group, and uh, I'm happy to link up with anyone to see how we can formalise and come together because it, it needs to be talked about now and I'm so glad that um, News UK did that forum because now it puts it at the top of the conversation and now we can start making big steps. 
I think the, I think the first thing is as as um, as uh, Nate says there, organisations like News UK um, they get a lot of heat, they get a lot of, a lot of criticism, and often rightly so, in my opinion. Um, but fair play to them, they're doing something here where they're saying, look, a line in the sand needs to be drawn about access to journalism for people with disabilities. It was a really positive for it was a really positive forum I mean, day, and I think we need more organisations to kind of first of all show that this industry is an industry for everybody. That's the first thing. Too many people feel like, ah, is that, that's not for me. I'm in a wheelchair or I can't see or da, da, da. But it needs to be opening and welcoming. And I think that, that forum, I think, did that to some degree. Second thing is training. We need to train um, people who want to be journalists and reporters and producers and editors who have disabilities. And we have to understand the complexities of the different disabilities. And it's not a one size fits all training module for everyone with disability. So I think we need to train them so that when they do enter the industry, that they are prepared. They're not coming in and then struggling and then we're tossing them out again because... Not because they weren't good enough, it's because they weren't prepared and trained in the same way that anybody else. If you enter an industry, if you're a chef and you you go to a top top restaurant to cook and you're not very good, you're not trained properly, you're not going to last very long. It's not because you're not good. You just wasn't trained properly. You wasn't given the tools to, 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 to have a chance. So I would say training is something as well. And I think also paying people. I think we need to pay people to make sure that everyone has an equal chance of making a living out of this and not treating people like um, some kind of, not tearing people based off of their disability. I think you tear people off of their ability. If someone's a better writer than another person, then obviously you pay the better writer. But I, I see too many people with disabilities getting offered work, but not the fair pays everybody else. And that in turn says to me, you didn't want to give that person a job in the first place, did you? You didn't really want to employ that person. You just you just thought, oh, I want to be seen to be employing that person. I'll offer them a really low wage to do this job, knowing full well they're going to turn it down. So I think making this industry, you know, show that it's it's welcoming for everybody, training people and paying people equally as well. I think it's important to to, to tailor things to people. So, you know, when John talks about training and things, it, it needs to be that it's going to take somebody with, a certain disability or someone with you know longer than it would somebody who doesn't have a disability or even somebody else with a different disability these things need to be tailored like i think there's too much trying to fit whether you've got a disability or not trying to fit everybody into a this is the, the criteria if you fit it then we'll give you the job and with people with disabilities because disabilities are so nuanced even within different types of disabilities cerebral palsy could affect me more than it could affect somebody else you know whatever so there needs to be more nuance with the attitudes towards the the hiring and training. It can't be you fit this criteria or you don't get the job because otherwise because otherwise people with disabilities are going to be more uh, impacted than that. But even, you know, but even people without disabilities, it, 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 so certain people might struggle with interviews more than certain other people, whatever. But an example of what where I think it's 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 really gone well for me is with the BBC specifically. I when I went there last year, it was said to me, "What do we need to do to make your life easier? Tell us what 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 you would like from us, and then we'll tell you what you know. We'll come back and we'll and we'll figure something out." And long story short, I'm six months in, and it's absolutely tailored to what I need. Obviously, you've got to be realistic in certain situations, but. If they're willing to tailor things and 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 be nuanced with what works for certain people, what works for other people, it needs to be that people have, can people feel like they have an individual chance of getting through an interview, getting through whatever, 
because of because of despite their disability and that and that comes down to the nuance and the and the tailoring and that and that because I I got gained so much confidence because they said to me what do you need and that that's that's all really that's the first step thank you guys for doing this uh, Jordan Harry and Nate uh, for having a chat we've gone over half an hour over what we said but i think that's because there's a lot to talk about and we could have kept going uh, but yeah thank you for doing this and i hope i get to speak to you all uh, again soon enough thank you thank you so much to jordan harry and nate for giving up their time to talk to me if you would like to know more about the work that all three of those fantastic journalists do you can find links in the episode description of this podcast if you'd like to know more about the work that we at Level Playing Field do, you can visit levelplayingfield.org.uk or follow us across our social media channels. We will be back next month. In the meantime, if you're going to a match day, have a good one. Bye-bye. (laughs) 